2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 7. This is part 5, part 5 um, of our journey through the book of 2 Timothy. All these sermons are online if you want to go back and in case you missed a part. But this is what I think you do need to know. Paul is writing this letter. This letter, 2 Timothy, has often been referred to as Paul's last will and testament. It will be executed shortly upon, shortly after upon writing this letter. This is his last will and testament. He's writing this sometime between 64 67 AD as best that we can gauge. He finds himself in a, in a Roman prison. It's uh, a rather unpleasant place to be. This is the second time that he is finds himself being held by the Romans. The first time during the prison epistles, he was really under a house arrest. Here, he's in a dungeon. He is in a dungeon. It is a very unpopular time to be a Christian. Nero is making it very difficult on the Christians. You don't really want to be a Christian at this time in this part of the ancient world, and yet that's exactly where Paul finds himself. And he writes this letter to a young man that he loves deeply. Timothy, his son, his spiritual son in the faith, the young man that he's discipled, he's mentored, he's invested so much of his time in. Timothy is a pastor, young pastor at the church of Ephesus, that is modern day western Turkey. And he writes this letter to a young man who by all accounts right now is maybe not as he should be. The the theme of this story is perseverance. Persevering in the faith despite suffering. Timothy is timid. Sometimes maybe not so confident. Prone to worry and fear. Like many of us. And he wants Timothy to keep going. To keep pressing forward. Not to let up. Not to allow fear to dominate and rattle his cage. And so that's exactly where we pick up today in chapter 2, verse 7. He says, think over, verse 7. Think over what I say, Timothy, implied for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think over what what I've said. Well, he's said a little bit of things, a few things. But specifically, if you guys remember the previous sermon, he gave three illustrations. That of a soldier, that of an athlete, that of a farmer. He, in chapter 1, called Timothy to share in suffering. Now, I say this a lot of times. I don't mind sharing some things. Pastor Dan and I, we're at the movies, he's got the popcorn. I'm cool with sharing that. Okay, I want to share that. Suffering? Not so much. And yet that's what this guy is telling Timothy. Sharing suffering. And in case there was any misunderstanding, he says it again in chapter 2. This time he uses the illustration of a soldier, which worked really well this weekend in my battalion. Sharing suffering as a soldier. And you ask any soldier... There's a lot of that that happens. 
Like my recruiter told me it was going to be all this glorious thing. And now I find myself, I'm tired, I'm cold, I'm hungry. The food I have, it stinks. Uh, I wish I was a million different places other than here. Just the reality. Sharing suffering as a soldier, right? And we, we use this, we saw this illustration uh, in the last sermon. Be willing to do that, Timothy. Be willing to, as an athlete, contends and he struggles for the prize. Be willing to do that. As the farmer works hard, be willing to do that. Be willing to persevere in the faith, even though it's tough. It's tough for a soldier. As an athlete, it's, it's difficult. I have to strain for that prize. As a farmer, see, so many of us, when it comes to our faith, when we think about the things that Paul is calling Timothy to think over and recall, man, much of us will persevere just as long as we want to, or we're in the mood to, or it's convenient. But the second, it's not, I'll see you later. That's, that's much of modern American Christianity right there. No. No, you've got to persevere. But it's hard. Yep. The Christian life is hard. You want to live a godly life? I've said this many times in a small group. Then have a lot of Kleenex and tissue with you because you will need it. It's not what many prosperity churches will tell you filled with lollipops and cotton candy and butterflies. That's not it. I mean, here's a guy essentially on death row in a Roman dungeon. I think he knows better than just about anybody else. I want you, Timothy, look at these examples, right? It's interesting. He doesn't give the example of a dropout for this illustration. The soldier who's willing to share in suffering, the athlete who's willing to contend, the farmer who is working hard, not just, oh, by the way, and for me this stands out the most, the farmer it's not, well, when I feel like it. Some people are like, eh, read my Bible today. Eh, I don't really feel like it. I don't really have any motivation. Guess the Holy Spirit's not here today. That's often how we approach it. Or church, right? I'll go when it works well with my schedule or small group gatherings or whatever. Like giving, you could make so many different applications. It often is, we often treat it when it comes to persevering in the faith. If it works well with my schedule, if it's convenient, as long as I don't have anything else going on, then I will. The farmer doesn't have that luxury because the seasons are going to change regardless of whether he feels motivated or is in the mood to persevere in the faith. Right? So this is the imagery, this is the illustration that Paul borrows for, that he wants Timothy here in verse 7. I really want you to think about these things, right? Linger on them. Think hard about them. Christian life's tough. So consider these things. Think over what I say. God will give you understanding. God will give you understanding, just as he gave Timothy understanding. Then we come to verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. That phrase is kind of different. Might throw you off or throw you for a loop right there. It's preached in my gospel because it might lead us to the conclusion that somehow Paul has his own version of the gospel. That's not how we should understand this. 
This is not Paul's own personal version of the gospel or his own opinion, but rather this is the divine truth that Jesus Christ has revealed to Paul, who, oh, by the way, is an apostle, big A apostle, if you remember part one. As he says and states in the opening verse in chapter one, verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Not his own version, but rather the gospel given to him. He sees it as his own. This is good news for me. Just says the gospel is good news for us all. And he says, remember Jesus Christ. Timothy's timid. He's prone to fear. The passion, the zeal that he once had for the Lord is, is waning. Get the, the big famous verse back in chapter 1, fan, fan the flames, fan, Timothy, right? Something's happened in Timothy's life, and it's caused him to drift over here to the sidelines. Okay, He should be over here on the path in the game. He's not. It's where he should be. He's not. So he tells him to remember Jesus. You don't want to fall away? You want to keep going? You want to persevere in the faith, even when it's hard? Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. Like, don't neglect Jesus. Have Jesus on your mind. And here's why. Because he's alive. He was killed. He was executed. He's alive. Not too many people can say that and put that on their resume. He is alive. And he's not just alive, but he says this. He says he is the offspring of David. He's alive and he is the new king, the better king. Therefore, remember him. And why wouldn't you remember him? I could ask, I'm guessing any single person in this room, nay, any person in the world. And I'm guessing, if I asked them, who's the president of these United States, they'd be able to say, pretty confident, Donald Trump. You asked them three years ago, they'd be able to say, Barack Obama, he's the president. You just, you just know that. Why, why, why wouldn't we know this? Remember this. Remember Jesus. He's alive and he is the new king, the better king. You want to persevere, keep him in your sights. The second he's no longer in your sights, that's when you begin to drift and float away to the sidelines. Remember him. May he be ever so on your thoughts. And so he comes to verse 9. He says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, the word of God is not bound. For which I am suffering, or therefore I am suffering, for, for this thing called the gospel that comes at the end of verse 8, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. So what I've been preaching, this gospel, word means good news. It's good news, right? This is why I'm, I'm bound in chains. It is great news. When you understand... Romans 1.30 says that we are haters of God. Romans 5.10, that we are enemies of God. 
Romans 8, 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. That is the mind of every unbeliever hostile to God, to the King. What good news is it that our eyes are open? That when you look at Jesus, He's better. This, this message, right, that we are born radically depraved and God-hating and God sends His only Son into the world, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death on the cross, is buried three days later, rises from the dead, conquering sin, death, and Satan, proving that He is who He said He was, Jesus Christ, that we are saved by no other name under heaven except His by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone. This is the gospel, right? This is the good news. And he says, it's because I've been preaching that, that I'm here in chains in this Roman dungeon. And he says, Timothy, be prepared to suffer. Not Timothy, do everything you can to try to avoid any type of conflict. No, no, I, you do what I'm doing. But you're on death row. Yep, do what I'm doing. Like I said, I want to share popcorn with Pastor Dane. Sharing suffering? Our minds don't naturally work that way. And yet that is the call that Scripture makes time and time again. Or have you not heard that it was said, For many tribulations one must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 This is great news, this gospel. But it's cost Paul just about everything. It's gotten him treated like garbage. It's gotten him treated like a criminal. And yet he says, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. I may be bound in chains, but God's word is not bound. You can't bind God's word. It will go out. It has for centuries, and it will continue. And then he says this in verse 10, Therefore, therefore, for this reason, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Who wants to, as we say in the army, embrace the suck? Paul does. I'm willing to be in chains. I'm willing to die if I need to. Why? I'm willing to for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That word elect, it means chosen or choosing. That's what the word means. It means chosen. Chosen for salvation. For the sake of the elect, for the sake of those chosen, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And I'll, I'll illustrate this idea of election. I think Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 is a, is a, is a great 
passage. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us, there's that word, elect, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. That's some heavy stuff, this idea of election. Let's think this through. There's no world, okay? It's hard for me to imagine this, right? Don't really experience this often, but there was a time when the world did not exist, and he says what? He says, there's no world, no world, no problem for the king of the universe. Not a problem. Because I got you in mind. Timothy, Paul tells him, he's got you in mind. Like, before there is any world, he has chosen Timothy to be his adopted son in the faith. History has not taken place. This will require history to happen. (laughs) There's no world yet. But this isn't anything new. In fact, did you? I don't know if you remember back in uh, chapter 1, verse 9, He tells timid Timothy, wimpy Timothy, he tells him that God has saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, right? Oh, I know Timothy's going to be this awesome standout pastor. (sighs) Got him. Nope. (laughs) Not so much. Not because of works, but because of his own purpose, his own grace, his own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is not a new concept, this reference to the elect. For he told Timothy back in chapter 1, verse 9, he said, Timothy, before there was a world, God had you in mind for his own purpose, not because he knew that you were going to be awesome. You're not. You're like everybody else, radically depraved and God-hating. He just, he gave you that grace, that saving grace before there was a world. Like, it wasn't like, oh, Well, sin came, then grace came. Nope, he gave you grace before there was sin. He gave you that saving grace before there was a world. No world, no problem. Not for our God. Massive realities. Good news that we have such a massive God considering Timothy's state that he's timid, prone to fear. Kind of wimpy at times, because he needs to know how big and massive his God is so that he might persevere in the faith. He needs to know that. And so, this has some implications, does it not? It does, right? For missions, for evangelism. Because I'm thinking this through, and I'm thinking... And why doesn't Paul just take a vacation? He says, I'm willing to... How does he say this? I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to endure everything for the sake of the elect, those chosen for salvation. So, as we saw in Ephesians 1, if that happens, that's a sure thing, and it happens, it happens before the foundation of the world, why not just take a vacation? Right? Why be willing to to go through all this garbage? If this happened, as he says, before the foundations of the world, 
man, this has some implications when it comes to missions and evangelism. So how do we wrestle with these things? Well, I think Acts chapter 18, 9 to 10 serves as a great illustration of how we are to wrestle with these things. Paul's in the ancient city of Corinth doing missions, telling people about Jesus. And notice what he says. Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Paul, I got many people in this city who are my people. Chosen, elect, they're in here. So I want you to keep on doing what you're doing. You keep preaching the gospel to them, Paul, because I have ordained it, even though they're my people. I have ordained it. I have made it in such a way that they will respond to the gospel that you preach. So no, you don't kick your feet up. You don't take the week off. You don't stop telling people about the good news of Jesus. You keep preaching it. You keep bringing the word. You keep witnessing to your friends and your roommates and your unsaved family members. You keep inviting people again and again to come to your gatherings to follow Jesus with you. You don't take a vacation. You don't know who these people are. But I know who they are, and they're right here in this city. They're right here in Corinth. The salvation of the elect is sure. It will happen. It will happen. But God has ordained this to come through human means. Uh, said elsewhere in First Corinthians, he said, I watered. Apollos, he planted. One of the great Bible teachers. I watered. Apollos planted. Imagery, right? I think maybe there's a little garden bed right here. So Paul, he says, I watered. Apollos, he planted. But God gave the growth. It wasn't, okay, I water. I plant. Okay. Grow. <laughs> as if we could ever tell a plant to grow and it somehow just grows. God gives the growth. There's people in Corinth, Paul. They're mine. They're chosen. They're elect. But you got to preach to them. That's why we have to understand this. We have an all-powerful God who gives us all powerful help and the election of the elect is a sure thing, but this doesn't mean that you can neglect planting or watering. <laughs> he brings the growth. But you're not taking a vacation, Christian. You can easily misunderstand the, the doctrine of election and go one of two ways, in which case you say, well, there's no point to witness or evangelize, or the other way and say, well, if that's a sure thing, I don't have to do anything. You easily take it to either extreme. This is not what Paul does. He says, it's actually for this reason that I'm willing to stay in chains for them, for the elect, for those chosen by God before the foundations of the world. I'm willing to be in this Roman prison and even die if necessary. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep witnessing. I'm going to keep watering and planting. Oh, but at the end of the day, God, he brings the growth. And God alone, all glory to him. Why am I a Christian? Because God did a miracle in my life. Why do I love Jesus? Because I was spiritually dead and now he made me alive. There's no other reason. All glory to him alone. If you love Jesus, if you can say, I love Jesus, 
a miracle has taken place in your life. There's no other reason than that. Be careful not to give yourself too much credit. And so, we come to the last section. And I, I want to... I don't normally do this. I, I want to... say something about this last section. Beware and be careful of Bible slogans. And... Uh, I'm guilty of this. Beware and be careful of Bible slogans, for they can be misleading at times. Perhaps one of the most famous Bible slogans comes at the end of verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Uh, two months ago, I was about to I was like, oh, I've heard that. That's in the Bible somewhere, right? He, if we're, we're faithless, he remains faithful. Oh, yeah. I'll just work that little phrase into my sermon. I didn't really, I just knew like that phrase. I just thrown a lot, thrown around a lot. I know it's in the Bible somewhere. Haven't really read the passage, just know it's there. I'd say that phrase has given many people a false sense of assurance. Oh, yeah. You know. The false sense of assurance, it says, because you were baptized or sprinkled, because your parents went to church, because you're a good person, because you prayed the prayer, because you rededicated your life 16 times, you know, whatever it is, like, you're okay. Because, like, even if you're not, like, at the end of the day, he's going to remain faithful, even if you're faithless. Or in other words, doesn't matter what your life looks like, doesn't matter whether you look more pagan or more Christian, that's cool. That's cool. No, that's called cheap grace. It's a theological term, cheap grace or easy believism. And this is a, a phrase that all often corresponds with this type of doctrine that misleads many people and gives them a false sense of assurance. And so that's my preface. Therefore, you can understand the importance of understanding this passage. So let's go through it. He says in verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. There's a trustworthy saying here. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. He says it's a trustworthy saying. Apparently this was just something you said. This is just something that they were saying in the early church. Like the army, we say like army strong. I don't know why, they just do. Like I'm sure like there's different slogans or, or sayings like even around liberty. Like, you know, ring for spring. That's like, it's a common saying. And so, here's a common saying. Common sayings are all over the place. Paul says, hmm, I'll vouch for this one. I'll vouch for this saying. This is a trustworthy saying. And it's not trustworthy merely because Paul says it's trustworthy. It's trustworthy because God is trustworthy. Look down at verse 13. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Why is Paul vouch for this? Why should we understand that this is trustworthy? Because God keeps his word and he's faithful. He's, his promises are true. That's why. So what are the promises? If we have died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. Those are the promises. And that is a good promise for someone like Paul, who's in a Roman dungeon, knowing that his life is coming quickly to an end. 
made some really good promise. Because the Christian life is so hard. It's so hard. I always think about, every week we pray for Pastor Andrew. I don't know if you guys know Pastor Andrew. He's an American citizen. He's been in prison for over a year in Turkey because he's a Christian. And if you don't know Pastor Andrew, maybe you know Asiya Bibi. Pakistani woman on death row. Case is still in limbo. On death row in a Pakistani prison because she's a Christian. And those are just a couple names. You could probably find dozens, if not hundreds more. Being a Christian, it's hard. You want to live a godly life? It'll be hard. It will. But man, this is the good, good news right here. This is good news to know that even if we die, we'll live with Him. Even if we're mistreated and harassed, our co-workers or friends or family because we love Jesus knowing that if we endure we will reign with him that's good news for anyone who wants to persevere in the faith anyone who wants to live a godly life that's great news we die that's okay that's okay so then This is what he says. If we deny him, he will also deny us if we are faithless. I think that's probably the better reading of the text. If we deny him, he'll deny us if we are faithless. Versus if we deny him, he also will deny us. And then somehow we read it, if we're faithless, he remains faithful. That doesn't make any sense because that just completely undoes what he said in the first part. If we deny him, he's going to deny us and then to come say, oh, well, even if we're faithless, he still remains faithful. Well, that doesn't make any sense, but that's usually how we read the text. Rather, I think it's best read. If we deny him, he also will deny us if we are faithless. So the question is, is that we need to ask and understand is deny him. Deny him how? Let's think through this. We endure, we suffer, we die, we're treated like garbage, like an animal, like a criminal. We will get to live and reign with him. We endure. Why? Well, honestly, because he's worth it. He's better. He's, he's worth it. Or he says in another way in, in Philippians, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> gain. It's gain for the people who get to collect your life insurance. It's not gain for you. Paul, what, what are you thinking? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's not crazy. Paul gets something. He understands massive realities that many of us completely miss because he knows even if they kill him, he will live and reign with Christ forever. And that is far better than this world can offer him. You want to persevere in the faith? You got to get this. You just won't be able to make it through all the hurt and pain that you'll experience trying to live a godly life. Like, he just won't. That's why he says, remember Jesus. That's why he says, you got to remember these promises. you got to remember he's trustworthy. You can bank on it. You can count on it. 
So then, what is denying him exactly? Denying him is saying, no thanks. I'll take a hard pass on that one. Enduring? Suffering? Possibly dying? (laughs) Not interested. Not interested. That's what denying him looks like. And so he says he'll deny us. Deny us what? Living and reigning with him in the next life. That's it. Scary thoughts. People say, well, what about Peter? Peter denied him. Yeah, Peter did, but when you look at what happened after Peter denied him, it was clear that that momentary decision was a lot different. That momentary denial was was not really the same thing that we're seeing here. This continual denial, and I think it's clear by the end of Peter's life, church history says that he died, was executed upside down on a cross for the faith. Not the the same type of denying, I think, that we see here. Not at all. Denying him is basically taking a hard no, saying, persevere in the faith. Sure, as long as it's easy. Ooh, it's hard? Yeah, I'll pass. I love the world more! Not interested. No thanks. And so, he will deny us. He will. And then he closes, and he says, Well, by the way, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God is faithful. God is trustworthy. But God, God remaining faithful is not primarily for us first. But rather, God remaining faithful is primarily for himself first. Because in order for God to be for us, he's got to be for himself. God's faithful to himself He can't deny himself. That's good news for those of us like Paul who are willing to persevere in the faith no matter what. Even if they take our lives, even if we're treated like a criminal, like garbage, you know, he's going to keep his word. He will keep his word. We can trust him. He's faithful. He's not going to deny us. He's not going to turn his back on us. He will receive us. We will live with him. We will reign with him. But for those who deny him, now, now he will deny us. Oftentimes this is like, you know, this is the person who says, okay, like, I'm a Christian. Is there any evidence of your life of being a Christian? No, but it's okay, right? Because even if I'm faithless, he remains faithful. So I still get to go to heaven. Have you not heard Luke chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. On that day, many will come and stand before me. They'll be like, Lord, Lord, yo, Jesus. They'll be like, I don't know why you call me Lord. I don't know you at all. I mean, these are the Iwana kids, the Christian school kids. Definitely the Liberty kids. Lots of them, right? They profess to know Christ, but they don't truly know him. He's not worth it. It's like a hard no, hard pass, any type of sharing and suffering, any type of persevering in the faith. Their Christianity is, is one of this Disneyland version. So long as it's convenient, fun, happy, uh, yeah, sure, I'll sign up for that. But as soon as it's not, no way. No thanks. And then you begin to see the story come. 
through. Timothy, I want you to persevere in the faith, no matter what. Do so, Timothy. It will be hard, but do it, Timothy, because he's worth it. Because even if they take our lives, Timothy, which he knows they probably will, we will live with him and reign with him forever. Forever. I imagine in here there's probably three different types of people. You could easily make this observation. You have the people who are very much like Paul. It doesn't matter. You are persevering in the faith. It doesn't matter. No matter what, you're going to keep going. And then some of you fall into the Timothy camp. And you're timid. And you're fearful. And man, you're just kind of floating over here. You know the path is there, but you're over here like in the tree line, and it's just kind of scary, right? Well, what happens if I do this, and then they're mean to me, or they say this, or I say this? What happens if this doesn't work out the way I want it to? Right? It's hard. Timothy's a pastor. Sorry. And Paul says, Timothy, come. Persevere. Remember Jesus. He's the resurrected new king, right? Like, if he can take care of himself after he's dead, I'm pretty sure he can take care of you, even if they kill you. And I think then there's the third group. And the third group is, man, they're, they're off, right? And, and they're banking on, like, these little Christian slogans or, or bumper stickers that they, you know, saw someone's Instagram or social media page and they're, they're thinking, oh, I'm good to go, right? I got my golden ticket. I'm secure. I'm safe, right? Doesn't matter how I live. Doesn't matter, right? I've got this mystical, magical kind of version of Christianity. And it doesn't matter because, because man, even if I'm faithless, he's going to be faithful. Really? I think that doesn't make any sense. Rather, if we deny him, he's going to deny us if we're faithless. If we're faithless, Yes, he will deny us. He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. That is, he cannot deny himself. He cannot be untrue to the promises that if we die, we'll live. If we endure, we will reign. Imagine there's probably three different categories, whether you're like Paul, whether you're like Timothy, whether you're like these other people. Just flat out denying him. Basing their assurance on Christian slogans rather than truly following and understanding the word of God. Man, I'd rather you be really uncomfortable right now in this moment so long as you're prepared for the next life. I'd rather it feel awkward right now. So many people care about how they feel. Like, oh, I don't want to make them feel awkward or say something that maybe might upset them. Who cares? I'd rather, if you need to deal with stuff right now in your life, if you need to get right with God now, then do it rather than just pretending and and banking and placing your bets on Christian slogans. No, we need to persevere in the faith. We don't need to let up off the gas. We need to press harder down. We need to keep going. Share in suffering as a soldier. Share in suffering as an athlete. Share in suffering as a farmer. Christianity, persevering in the faith, is not one that comes down to when we feel like it or when it's convenient for us. It's never convenient to suffer. I don't know anyone says, oh, I'll sign up for suffering. Let me see when I got an opening. There never is one. There's never a good time to persevere in the faith. But that's what he calls Timothy to. I don't know where you're at, but right now, as the band comes forward, I want to pray for us.
I want to pray for us right now. God, we love you. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us, God. Please help us, God. I know there's many people in here who love you deeply, but it's just hard. It's hard. And and we're not even like probably talking about suffering like Paul was. It's just hard with life and so many things to keep us from you and your people and your word. So we just need your help, Jesus. Help us. Help us to persevere in the faith. God, help those of us who are like maybe Timothy and we're kind of wimpy and tender and timid and scared. God, help us to keep going, knowing that we can trust you, knowing that your promises are true. And for those of us, God, in that far, far camp that are basically living day by day by whatever little Instagram, social media, Bible slogan they can find, I pray that you would bring them to the reality that living a Christian life is hard, but it's worth it because you're worth it, Jesus. We need your help. Help us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.